Voice of Fintech. Welcome to Voice of Fintech Asia Pacific series. As in Voice of Fintech podcast so far, here you will hear inspirational stories of entrepreneurs, corporate innovators, investors, ecosystem hub leaders from or close to the world of fintech. Asia Pacific series will be hosted by amazing hosts based in the region, speaking to the leaders from Asia Pacific. Here is another one hosted by Chia. Hi, everyone. Today, we have an amazing guest with us today, Rahu Shinghao, who is the ex-head of Stripe Asia-Pacific, previously at PayPal for close to 10 years in a number of positions, including ex-head of Southeast Asia, among other long-standing corporate exec roles in the fintech space. Today, Rahu will be sharing a little bit more about his experience in the fintech space in Southeast Asia and also building his company, TazaPay. Thank you very much for being here today with us, Rahul. Hi, Jinyang. Thank you so much for uh, having me on this show. I've, been, uh, I've heard a few of your podcasts, so I feel very privileged to be on part of this uh, podcast. We are proud to have you on, on, on this podcast, also as a portfolio company of Saison Capital, uh, which I am a principal for and very eager to dive into your background, your experiences, and the company that you've built. So you have had significant experience in the Southeast Asian fintech and payment space. Can you introduce yourself and the team behind TazaPay? Can you help us understand a little bit about the story behind how and why you started to build TazaPay? Yeah, thanks, Jin Yang, for that question. Uh, and thanks for the introduction. As you said, I've been in payments and fintech for almost 20 years, even before it was called fintech, to be honest. Uh, started my career in 99 with a bank and was working for a payment startup initially, uh, then worked for an incumbent debit network of Singapore called Nets. Uh, then I had an amazing experience of being at uh, PayPal for over 10 years, joined them in 2009 and was there till 2019. And uh, within these 10 years, I had multiple roles. I lived in Japan for a couple of years as well. And then uh, most of it in Singapore, I was head of Southeast Asia. And during this period, just saw this phenomenal growth uh, in payments, in commerce, uh, in online and in digitization generally. Uh, Some context, when I joined PayPal, we were a $20 billion company. And of course, we were part of eBay at that time. The joint valuation was around 20, 30 billion. And by that time, I left PayPal alone was uh, close to 200 billion. So saw this phenomenal growth and then joined Stripe, was uh, leading the APAC business and pretty much was seeing the same story again. Uh, and at that, this point, I felt maybe it's time for me to try and do this myself. I uh, was fortunate to come across two fantastic co-founders, uh, Saroj and uh, Arul. Saroj comes from a trade finance background, was working in the banking industry for several years. And Arul uh, was is our CTO. He used to be the CTO of Grab earlier and then spent 15 years in companies like Amazon and, and Microsoft. So I felt we, have, we had a good team. We had a great idea uh, and so j- jumped into it uh, early part of this year. Very fortunate to have backers like Saison uh, and, and Sequoia uh, behind us. And so that's a little bit of a story how, of what my journey has been. Uh, I saw this problem quite closely when I was at PayPal that... A lot of focus on payments in fintechs has been on B2C. 
and a lot of problems there which typically consumers and merchants face have over the, over the years have a large part of them have been solved and one of the big problems initially in b2c commerce used to be lack of trust and there used to be this famous internet meme that uh, you don't know if the other person is a dog or not and i think a lot of focus went into it in creating protections establishing trust mechanisms for b2c commerce but none of them actually trans has have migrated to b2b and lack of trust remains a big issue uh, for b2b commerce transaction sizes of 30 40000 there isn't a safe mechanism to do transactions if the buyer and seller don't know each other and we were seeing this very closely at paypal but paypal in a way is very geared towards b2c and so i had seen this gap and i saw this again at at stripe uh, and had first hand experience of working with thousands of merchants where i could see this was a problem so this is the fundamental problem we are trying to solve that cross border trade uh, there is a huge trust deficit buyers and sellers they meet for the first time uh, either online or on or on a trade show and it's very difficult to get that trade done because one party the seller always wants an advance payment the buyer wants the shipment first for very large transactions above 100000 usually letters of credit have have solved this problem but they're still very clunky and cumbersome but for this huge this gap in the market of transaction sizes between $1000 where b2c ends and about 100000 that there's really no way for doing secure b2b commerce so that's the problem we are trying to solve uh with a trusted e-commerce trusted b2b payment solution uh and we and I'll talk a little bit about it uh, more about it but we see this as a huge opportunity uh, this is fundamentally giving an infrastructure solution to small merchants across asia pacific that they can do their cross border transactions safely and securely rahul that's that's uh, it's very interesting to to meet you today and find out a little bit more about tazape could you give us an introduction about what tazape is and what you're trying to solve that's right uh so tazape fundamentally tries to solve for trust in cross border transactions and i'll give you a very simple example if you are a buyer in germany and a seller is in singapore there is this huge trust deficit about whether the seller is going to ship me the item the buyer is thinking and the seller is thinking whether i'll get paid after i do the shipment and this problem is by and large as i said problem solved in in b2c commerce because there are chargeback mechanisms protection mechanisms built in and also solved to a large extent for big transactions 100000 200000 with with letters of credit Uh, but there is nothing really for transaction sizes of 30 40 50000 uh the letters of credit are too costly too cumbersome and that's the problem we are trying to solve that we give a platform to buyers and sellers where there's a trust deficit either it could be a new commercial pair or they don't necessarily trust each other to either give a credit and hence in that case we we are creating a system uh, like a digital escrow system in singapore where buyers and sellers can agree on the terms of the trade on our platform park the money with us and then based on the initial escrow agreement we release the money to the seller very simplistically that's the the description but it gets very very complex at the back end b2b cross border trade is extremely complicated uh, there is uh, there are things like multi jurisdiction regulations buyers and sellers are in different countries the terms of trade are incredibly complex and i think what we are trying to do is make it extremely simple bring it to the new age uh, make it completely digital so that these transactions can actually happen a lot of these transactions fall through because buyers and sellers cannot agree on terms where both of them feel protected 
so that's kind of the fundament, fundamental problem we are trying to solve. And solving this problem is not a single-threaded solution. You need to have a multifaceted approach. So one, of course, is a digital escrow solution, which is really a lighthouse solution. But it's also augmented with things like the ability to do business verification on, on the party with whom you're doing a trade, simplifying a lot of the trade terms. So these uh, specific international terms can be simplified and codified in digital agreements so that it reduces the uh, risk of a dispute at a later stage. So we're trying to combine all of this and create a platform for uh, for trusted commerce for B2B transactions. Got it. That's really interesting. We'd love to maybe dive a little bit into the range of products and, and, and how you see Taza Pay developing if you're if you'd be generous enough to share and what are some of the, the major pain points that you see Taza Pay set tackling and, and, and the vision really for the company ahead? You know, when when we started this thing, we felt that we were solving a billion dollar problem. We always knew this was a humongous opportunity. B2B commerce in most of our target markets is seven, eight times the size of B2C commerce. You know, take an example of Vietnam. B2B exports is probably 10x the size of B2C. And most of the venture money and investments are going in that area. So we had seen this gap. But as we've unraveled the problem and spoken to literally dozens and dozens of merchants, we are struck with this profound realization that, that this is actually a trillion dollar problem. So that's the first thing. This is a this is a big, big problem. And I think we are very fortunate to have uh, converged on this problem. Uh, I always have felt that, you know, I, we should be working on a problem which, which is top of mind for customers that when they sleep, they think about that problem and they get up, they think about this problem and lack of trust ability to do business with people you don't fully trust uh, because you don't know them is, is one of the biggest problems our buyers and sellers. So that's some context on, on the problem statement. We, uh, as I said, we're focusing on three products initially uh, and all of them fall under the umbrella of providing trust in cross-border transactions, B2B cross-border transactions. Expect a t- typical transaction size of thirty dollars to $40,000. And the first real thing we have solved for is if a buyer and seller have met each other for the first time, either online or on a, on a classified site, they can do a fairly detailed verification on the other party by coming to our platform. Right now, we are offering it free. Actually, it's already live on www.tazapay.com. Uh, and you can do a search on them. We pull out all sorts of information about their current status, their are they registered company? Who are the shareholders? Who are the directors? Financial information, etc. So that becomes uh, gives you the first level of of trust. Over time, we want to make it user generated that buyers and sellers can enter their own profile, and we verify it so it becomes like a LinkedIn profile for you for trade, which you can use to establish further trust. The second is when this is this first level of trust is established, then we offer a digital escrow service. We are based in Singapore. We're very fortunate because Singapore is considered as as a very neutral country for trade. And so we'll operate our escrow service from Singapore and under a fairly robust regulatory regime uh, using partners. And so we will bring the money into Singapore when 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 the first thing is we do an escrow agreement on our platform, which helps codify the terms of the trade, clearly describes whose obligation is what and at what point the buyer wants to release the money to the seller. And this could be either when the seller has manufactured the item or when the seller has shipped the item 
or when the deliveries happen. So we clearly outline those agreements. The, we then get the money in the most cost-effective way uh, into Singapore using an array of uh, virtual bank accounts so that we don't have to incur uh, costly wire transfer and foreign exchange costs. That is, of course, kind of inbuilt uh, in our solution, simplifying these complex uh, money transfers. And then once the, once the sale goes ahead uh, and the seller has fulfilled his or her obligation, at that point, the seller can upload documents showing proof that they have fulfilled their obligation as per the original agreement, and then we will release the money. So that at a simple level, that's what we're doing. There's a lot of under-the-hood complexity. International trade has things like inco terms, which describe what the buyer is supposed to do, the seller has to do, have to absorb the complexities of import-export regulation. And one thing which we realized was that in B2B is so complex, and we've got to embrace this complexity. So that's what we've done. And so that's the second thing. And the third thing as we, as was, was what we're going to do is uh, codify these agreements and make them formal. A lot of these agreements tend to, for buyers and sellers, tend to remain on WhatsApp and simple emails, uh, which doesn't give them much coverage for dispute. So that's the third thing we put. So there's a package. We feel this is going to serve a big need in the market. So that's what we hope to launch in the next couple of months. The first service, as I said, is already live. But I'd say one thing. <clears throat> The problem is so acute and the solution is fairly obvious. So the question sometimes people ask is, is this seems like such a big problem with such an obvious solution. Why hasn't this been done already? And it's an important question. And to me, the answer is because it's incredibly complex. You need to have a, a congregation of certain skills to solve this problem. Understanding multi-jurisdictional regulations, understanding complexity of B2B trade, understanding complexity of foreign exchange and money movement, understanding how do you do at scale merchant acquisition uh, <clears throat> with, with low CAC, high LTV, understanding how do you create simplicity and create comprehension with amazing design. So it's just, it takes, it's not easy to build, pull all this together. And I'm very proud that, you know, we pulled together a team which, which have all the skills to really tackle this problem head on. And thanks again, for your support, Jinyang, in in getting us to this stage. Gotcha. The 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 pleasure is all mine. And uh, with that team that you've that you've got together, very impressive team, by the way. The problem that you're really tackling that that digitization, building that trust along that that trade process across Southeast Asia, and also helping to manage payments. That that's really an interesting space. That I think is, is that that you're really tackling. So since since you you brought up kind of a little bit of your experiences, looking at it from a B two B to B two C perspective, maybe let's take a step back and and I'd love to get your thoughts on the Southeast in Asia fintech and payment space in terms of where you see it now, where you see it going, and how it compares to developed or our Western markets. I know you you alluded to a little bit of this when you talked about B two B versus B two C, but would love to get your thoughts on that. I think any fintech practitioner in Southeast Asia <clears throat> will tell you the biggest problem in Southeast Asia compared to either the Western markets or even larger markets like China and India <clears throat> is that it's a very fragmented market. There is, with the exception of Indonesia, there is no scale in one single market. And it's very difficult to launch a regional solution <clears throat> unless, you know, it's like a cross-border solution or a remittance solution. 
which can be localized to every market. This every market has a different language, different fintech stack in terms of how banks are organized. It's very different from a regulatory standpoint. Every country has a different uh, regulatory regime. There's no passporting. And it's, this, this has been one of the biggest challenges for getting any level of scale as far as fintech and payments is concerned in Southeast Asia. And that's why you don't, in spite of being a, of a, as a block, we are about 650 million people. And in terms of combined GDP, it's, it's pretty large. It's probably the sixth or seventh largest in the world. This, in spite of this, you don't see any equivalent of Alipay or PayPal in this market. So this is one big challenge. In spite of that, I think a lot of strides have been made, have been made in fintech uh, payments in general. I think one of the most significant achievements has been the mass digitization of cash. Even five, six years ago, vast majority of people were not connected to the digital mainstream. There was no card. Banking penetration was 20, 25%. Uh, and these people were very much left out. There were many wallets which were trying to serve the unbanked, but very disjointed, uh, no scale, no acceptance. But I think last three, four years, players like Gojek, Grab, uh, and a whole host of prepaid card providers have tried to solve that problem. So one thing is we've seen hundreds of millions of people come into the digital mainstream with digital wallets or prepaid cards, and they can participate in this wonderful world of, of fintech and payments. Uh, so that's kind of one very encouraging uh, thing we've seen. We haven't ski- seen really at any at scale player like you see in uh, in China and Southeast Asia. Even lending, it remains very, very fragmented. We have players, but none of them are operating at the scale at which operators in China or India are operating. Uh, so scale is always going to be a, a problem. But I think there are a lot of green shoots here that, that we are seeing. Uh, what what probably is needed is slight more a more homogeneous regulation across these markets. Sometimes it's worrying that a lot of these countries are now requiring data localization, etc., which just increases the entry barrier and makes it very very difficult for global and regional players to have a footprint. Uh, so there, while we take two steps forward, uh, once in a while we take one step back as well. So I think in spite of a lot of the progress, uh, the fragmentation in the market remains to be, in my opinion, the single biggest challenge that we have. Second, beyond this fragmentation, there's also a lot of fragmentation, in, at least in B2C payments, on the number of payment methods that are available. In most Western markets, credit cards, Visa Master, debit cards will take care of 70-80% of your users. Here, it's cards really become very meaningless in a lot of these markets. Uh, so that's that's a big challenge. There are multiple payment methods, wallets, bank transfers, which again aggregation is has been quite a challenge there. So there it, it is quite ripe for disruption. Uh, some some companies are doing a great job, but I think the biggest challenge remains, as I said, in finding scale uh, across these markets. We are fortunate; we chose cross border as an area, uh, which by definition is borderless. Uh, we operate out of Singapore and service exporters importers and traders across these markets so in a way we in a way bypass uh, that specific issue of uh, of fragmentation uh, but for local players who are providing a, either an issuing service or a lending service or an acquiring service uh, this this remains a big problem got it thanks a lot that's very insightful it's 2020 covid has severely affected smes in the region which is one of your core targets and has brought a lot of uncertainty 
into the markets even till today. Has this affected Taza Pay's roadmap in any way? Understanding that you're obviously an early stage company, it, it hasn't. Of course, when we started the pandemic, it already started. In fact, we felt we've started it at the right time because the need for digitization would be even higher for a lot of our segment. And as I said, we solve a trust problem. At least two years ago, if you needed to, com- you had no other way. You would take a flight and go to your, go to your counterparty's country. If you were doing business in Singapore with a German buyer, uh, there was still an option of getting on a flight, going and <clears throat> visiting the office of your buyer or seller and trying and get that rapport going and establish trust. I think that option is pretty much out, I think, for the next at least year or so, if not longer. Uh, <laughs> so if you're not traveling and you're not meeting people, I think the lack of trust, uh, the deficit increases quite a bit. So I think we are very, very well placed to solve that problem. Uh, with with the set of solutions that we have. And the second thing is just a lot of these manual processes uh, that SMBs have, they realize they will have to move away from it. And that's a core thing we are doing around digitizing, digitizing their trade flows, digitizing their documentation, uh, and basically digitizing the way they create trust with each other rather than a manual way and a digital way. So we feel we are very well poised. If you know, we, we obviously don't have a legacy and I think that's a big advantage uh, most iconic companies were actually set up uh, immediately after the great financial crisis uh, and I think that's that's true for us we, we started in the pandemic and we are really made to order for this pandemic this the the, the need has just become even even greater uh, so we feel that not only is it an opportunity it's an obligation for us to try and solve that problem uh, as quickly as we can got it that makes a lot of sense just want to set the the scene for for the listeners also all you've mentioned uh, where you can find Taza pay on the Taza pay website but uh, perhaps you want to share a little bit in terms of uh, when you're you're officially launching on, on the on the, on the roadmap we uh, obviously there are always dependencies in this question uh, from from multiple angles but we've already launched our first product so at we're delighted if whoever is listening can log on to www.tazapay.com and have a look. We've got an amazing knowledge center which solves a lot of, answers a lot of questions which typical SMBs have. What are the import terms? What are the import-export regulation? And we've deliberately done that uh, because we want our go-to market to be very content-heavy and focus on content marketing uh, rather than performance marketing. My experience with performance marketing has been that you spend $10 on performance marketing and that's money you'll never see back and it's gone. Whereas money you spent on content is sustainable, it stays with you, it can can keep generating returns over a long period of time. So that's kind of one strategy we have and hopefully when you see our website, you'll see some parts of that strategy. So that's the first thing. The second, uh, first product we've launched is business verification, which we can verify your counterparty. Uh, It's live, it's free, and we'll be constantly expanding our data sources. Uh, We launch our digital escrow service early early next year, potentially Jan, Feb, uh, earlier the better. We will do a limited beta as early as December, uh, and then uh, try to push for public availability as soon as possible. We have a fair amount of pent-up demand. Uh, Over time, once we proven this model, proven the unit economics, we also want to go and target large marketplaces and 
freight forwarders and shipping companies are channel partners, uh, places where SMBs uh, congregate. So that's the second uh, part of it. We want to be system of record for the for the SMB ultimately, uh, and whether that means capturing trade history, simplifying some of their workflows, anything which helps them digitize and create ultimate trust uh, is on our roadmap. But in the immediate future, uh, we are working very hard to launch our uh, digital escrow service in the next two to three months. Got it. Um, so if anyone's a, if anyone also is uh, in the SMB space or a large marketplace with a lot of cross-border transactions, they should definitely reach out to, to Taza Pay team. Absolutely. Great. So perhaps ending on a more personal note, you've, you've had a very long and successful career as a senior executive for some very large and very successful uh, fintech companies, and you're now building your own endeavor. I'm, I'm curious to, to get your take on you know, what's been the most surprising part of your experience so far, and any words of advice for those with a similar background thinking of going through a similar entrepreneurship path? Thanks. It's a, that's a great question. Uh, it, uh, it wasn't an easy decision. Uh, I had been thinking and toying with this for a long while. And uh, I saw the tremendous growth uh, at PayPal and Stripe and always had this yearning that I can potentially do it myself uh, and, and try to see if we can build something which of, of value. Uh, one of the challenges of working with large MNCs, uh, especially when you're not in their global headquarters, is that a roles are very go-to-market focused and you don't get the satisfaction of actually building something and seeing something. So I've always had that yearning um, and you know that's, that's what took me here. It's for founders who are uh, slightly on the, uh, I, would, I would hate to use the word older, uh, but maybe if you had 15, 20 years experience, it's a very different decision uh, criteria. You've got finances to take care of, you have kids, mortgage, etc. So I think the first thing people need to make sure is that they can take care of all that and you know that's uh, they've got some buffer of few years of, of runway, etc. So I think that was the first thing which I had mentally prepared for and, and, and planned for uh, for a while to get to the stage. Emotionally, it's not easy initially when you, you always have this sort of yearning to have a stable job uh, and I've spoken to multiple founders it's it, it, it gets easier over, over time uh, as, especially when you start seeing traction and success in your own venture and uh, what I have done is I've created a document for myself one pager which describes why did I do this in the first place what what drove me to this decision what choices I'm making and every now and then I look at it so just to remind myself that why am I in it? why am I in it and, you know, your question about what surprised me was when I was doing this, um, I, I led fairly large teams in my tenure. And I always felt maybe it'll be challenging to go and doing things which I had done many, many years ago and really getting your hands dirty. I was prepared for it, but I felt that would be a challenge. <clears throat> but actually, that has not been a challenge at all. So that surprised me. I've really enjoyed it. Even things like writing the license application or uh, getting deep into the product specification or actually running a campaign myself on 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 Google and Facebook. All those things, have, I think, have been fairly satisfying and enjoyable. What I really miss, and maybe this, some people who are thinking about this would, would, it would resonate, is, is doing things at scale. I think what something which I surprised me was things I did not feel I would miss, but I miss, is operating at scale, looking at your daily metrics, uh, making decisions based on, on data, 
doing things and pretty much in the next two weeks uh, seeing an impact of a couple of million dollars and you can get that in big companies when you're operating a large business at scale so that that the joy of being an operator on a day-to-day basis at least in the early stage you will not get it so that i do definitely miss but i'm pretty sure we'll we'll get to that scale it's uh, at some stage but it's been supremely satisfying you know it's just supremely satisfying to actually see that something which you want to get done in in front of it even if it's a simple thing like a user flow or a or a ux in big companies it just takes forever to do the lobbying and get something out so that that satisfaction of translating your thoughts and your ideas into a into a working product uh, i think that is supremely satisfying and not having to worry about unnecessary posturing unnecessary reporting etc uh, so that's kind of uh, been the positive side on the whole i think it's been a very very satisfying experience and uh, whoever is considering this i'd say just definitely give it a shot uh, it it would i have learned more in the last 6 months than i did in the last 5 years about myself about about team interactions about in, about building culture about how to take things to the market and i think it's it's supremely satisfying so far got you um thanks rahul that was um that was you know refreshingly honest and uh really appreciate um, some of your frank and uh, and on the thoughts on on the topic of you know leaving a large company and, and building your own endeavor Thanks a lot Rahul. It was really great to have you and and to hear you share about the Southeast Asian fintech and payment space and the exciting things that you're doing at Tazapay. It was great to have you. Thank you so much. Thank you Jinyang. Thanks a ton. Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info@voiceoffintech.com. At Happy to hear from you. Thank you.